You ready? <laughs> I am redeemed. I've been bought with a price, and I am not my own. And I know that the one in whom I have believed is able to keep those things that I commit to him because I am his and I am not my own. This message this morning is for the redeemed church. It's for those individuals that know what it's like to have been bought with a price, that know what it's like to have been transformed by the dynamic power of the spirit of the living God. This message is for you because God has an assignment for us. And we need to wake up and become aware of the realization that we have re been redeemed, not so we can sit around and sing about it. We have been redeemed because he has a work for us. There's a world out there that's dying to hear the message that we so wonderfully sang this morning. There are people that you work with that are in chains that need to know that there is a God who can break their chains. There are people in your own family whose lives are stained with sin and poor choices that need to know that there is a God whose blood can cleanse them until they are completely whole with no stain at all. So if you would, open your Bibles with me to the book of Joshua, the 14th chapter. I'm going to begin reading at verse 6. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought word back to him, and it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. And now behold, the Lord has let me live, just as he spoke these 45 years, from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this mountain about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out as the Lord has spoken. And in verse 13, so Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Every person in this auditorium this morning, we are bound together by the common fact that we are either in need of redemption or we have been redeemed. If we have been redeemed, then we are bound together by the event of Jesus Christ bringing us into salvation through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We're bound together this morning by a common faith and a common purpose, which is to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus. But we are also bound together this morning by the common reality that every person in this house has a mountain that's infested with the enemy. And God has given you that mountain 
and you have hesitated at some point to possess what God has given to you. In this culture, we have taken on or adopted the attitude that if it doesn't come to me on a silver platter, if it is not easy, accessible, convenient, comfortable, and costs me little to nothing, then surely God's not in it. I'm here to tell you this morning that the promises of God, while they have been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ, will require that we do and make some effort. It will require that you take a step of faith and believe that the God who called you, the God who redeemed you, is the same God that can take down the giants that are infesting your mountain. There are no promises without obstacles. And it is in overcoming the obstacles that we come to the realization that we gain the understanding that the God who gave the mountain is also the God who sustains us. And the God who allows us to rise up and to inherit that which he has set before us. Some of the things that we as Christians inherit, God has promised us peace. Peace, not as the world can give to you, but peace that passes understanding. He has promised or given us the inheritance of joy, a joy that's unspeakable and filled with glory. He has promised us the Holy Spirit. He has promised to us an unction from on high that would stir and shake us and motivate us and compel us to do those things which he asks of us. I believe that he has given to Bethesda a certain portion of Fort Worth. I believe that he has given to lowly Central America. God has given promises to us as individuals and as families, but every one of those promises are given with the realization that it will require us to get up and make an investment and an effort in order to possess them. Now, God will empower us every step of the way. I want us to look at the life of Caleb this morning because he is a man that I want to be like. I want to be 85 years old saying, give me another mountain. I want to be 85 years old saying, let somebody else take the land that's easy to get. Give me something that's got something I'll have to fight. Isn't there a fighter, a warrior that's raging inside of you? Aren't you tired of mediocre Christianity? Aren't you tired of a spirit baptism that doesn't evidence itself in power? Aren't you tired of a confession of faith that sees no fruit and no results? Aren't you tired of a Christianity that makes no difference to the world around you? Because I know I am. And there's a warrior raging inside of me that says there's got to be more. You guys seem to be terribly asleep and slow this morning with me. The first time, thank you, the first time that we see Caleb mentioned in Scripture is in the book of Numbers, the 13th and 14th chapter. He has been commissioned by Moses to go along with 11 other guys and to spy out the promised land. Now Moses' instructions is, I want you to go and check out the land and come back and tell me, is it everything God said it is? Is it the land flowing with milk and honey? Is there great amounts of produce? Is this a land that we can settle? Is this a land that will be prosperous? for us. So the spies go out and they don't see the honey and they don't see the milk, they see the giants. And they come back. They're not talking about the milk and the honey. They're talking about the giants. Moses never asked them to tell me about the enemy that occupies the land, but to tell me about the produce of that land. But Caleb comes back and Caleb says, we can take it. It's everything God says it is. Let's go right now. 
and let's take this land. But fear filled the hearts of the people. And because of that, Joshua and Caleb were the only two men that said, we can do it because God said we can. And the other ten, filled with fear, infected the entire congregation. So the first time that we are introduced to Caleb, we see that he is a man filled with passion and filled with faith. A man that's not looking at the obstacles, but a man who has his focus on the promise. Because I tell you, as long as your eyes are fixed on the obstacles, you will miss the promise every time. And all you will ever see are the obstacles. So Caleb gets to live 45 years. Can you imagine this? 45 years walking through a wilderness knowing that you could have occupied the land and the promise of God because somebody else decided that you couldn't do it. I don't know about you, but 45 years of that, and I think I would have had an attitude. What do you mean? What do you mean 45 years? I should be able to go in and take the land. It's mine. Let me have it. Let's go back now. I don't want to be with you whiny people. But here in the book of Joshua, he says, these my brothers, because their hearts were filled with fear. He's not laying an accusation against them. He is going to Joshua and he's saying, that's mine. This man at 85 could have went to Joshua and said, you know, I've paid my dues. I don't want a mountain. That's too hard. I don't want a mountain infested with enemies. That's too much. I'm 85. Give me something easy. I've paid my dues. I've done my work. Let me have something easy. But this man has a different spirit. And he says, give me a mountain. He specifically in the Hebrew says, give me my mountain. That's mine. God's promised it to me and I won't let it go. When Caleb came back, and reported to Moses that they could take the land, Moses said two things about, about Caleb. He said he is a man of a different spirit, and he is a man who fully follows the Lord. I think that what qualified Caleb to possess that mountain were these two qualities. I think some of us have gotten frustrated because we've tried to possess a mountain, but we've not been fully committed to the Lord, and we have not been people of a different spirit. And so sometimes our failure to possess what God offers to us has nothing to do with God, but everything to do with us. And our wrong expectations are not being fully committed to him. What does it mean to be fully committed to the Lord? What does it mean to go after the Lord with your whole heart? Well, 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 3 says that it's a person who walks in full faithfulness to the Lord. That means in everything they do, in every choice and decision that they make, they are looking to honor and to glorify God in those choices and decisions. They are not thinking about what betters and benefits myself and mine. They are thinking what benefits and betters the kingdom of God. And they live and they walk in a way that reflects that. They serve the Lord fully, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. They are men and women who don't serve the Lord just a little bit and then hold back some reserves. These are men and women who don't save anything for the trip back. They give it all, and they give it completely and fully. Psalm 9, verse 1, says that they give thanks to the Lord with their whole heart. They, not, they may not be thankful for every event that has taken place in their life, but they are fully thankful to the Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you empower me, that you enable, that you fill me, that you stir me, that you give me the strength that I need to do that which you have asked me to do. Maybe not thankful for, but thankful in. 
thankful in a God who has redeemed them. Because I tell you, when you let the reality of the redemption that God has given to us in Christ Jesus, when you allow that to fully attack your heart and to capture you, none of this other stuff matters. Because, folks, what does things in time matter knowing that our destiny is sealed in Christ Jesus? I've been redeemed. According to Psalm 119, verse 2, it's a person who seeks the Lord fully. They seek the Lord with their whole heart. Jeremiah says this, you, when you seek the Lord with your whole heart, there and then will you find him. It's not half-hearted seeking the Lord. It's not seeking the Lord on your timetable and according to your agenda. It's not seeking the Lord and only finding him when he does what you think he ought to do, but it's seeking the Lord and letting him reveal himself to you in the way that he chooses and in the time that he deems accurate and appropriate. He is God, not us. He is Lord and not us. Psalm 119 verse 34 says it's the person that keeps the commandments of the Lord fully. They don't keep commandments 1 and 8 and fudge on 9 and 10. They keep them all and they keep them diligently. 1 Samuel chapter 13 chapter 15 says that it's a person who obeys the Lord fully. Obedience is not one of those events that you get graded on on the curve. You are either fully obedient or you are disobedient. Partial obedience is disobedience. I ask you to think about Saul. He did half of what the Lord said and then kept the best of the sacrifices for himself. And then Samuel shows up and says, to obey is better than sacrifice. God is looking for, for sons and daughters that will be obedient to him fully and completely. Sons and daughters that won't just do the things that they want to do and then fudge on everything else, but sons and daughters that will go the distance and do all that he has asked them to do. That's what it means to follow the Lord with your whole heart. I read through this list and all I can say is I need help. But he is a God who forgives and cleanses and strengthens and empowers, equips and enables us to go back at it again. To fully serve the Lord means that you do it completely, totally, and without reservation. I have to be honest with you. When I accepted Christ at 18, I did not concoct a plan B for my life. He called me into ministry, and that is the only plan I had. And it never occurred to me to have a plan B. I want to tell you, when God speaks to you, do not give yourself a plan B. Go fully and completely and totally with all that you have after that which God deposits in your heart. Half-hearted obedience to the Lord is no obedience at all. Half-hearted commitment to the Lord leads to total disaster. In 2 Chronicles chapter 25, there's a gentleman by the name of Amaziah. Amaziah is a king, and it says that Amaziah followed the Lord fully, but not all the way. He followed the Lord fully, but not all the way. There's a half-hearted explanation in there. Amaziah has to go out to battle, and he hires some Israelites to fight with him. The prophet of the Lord shows up and says to him, the Lord says that what you have done is not right. He is not with the Israelites, and if you go with the Israelites, he won't be with you either. And Amaziah's like, but I've already paid them. They're mercenaries. I've already paid them. And he decides, I will go ahead and pay them in full and then tell them I don't need them to fight with me. 
You would think they're getting paid and they're not having to do the work. You would think that the Israelites would be okay with that, but they're not. They are furious because they want to fight. And they feel like they have been rejected. And somehow that Amaziah has not deemed them as important as they actually are. So while Amaziah goes to fight, because the prophet of the Lord, because Amaziah asked the honest question of the prophet, he says, so what about the money? And the prophet says to, the prophet says to Amaziah, God is able to restore back to you that money which you have given. Now listen, the prophet says God is able to restore back to you. Amaziah takes off, goes to battle, wins, has an incredible victory, comes back home only to find that the angry Israelites have come in and raided his city and slain his family and his servants and taken his possessions. He is absolutely furious, and this is where the real, whether you're really serving the Lord fully or not, this is the tale. He decides because he didn't get what he wanted when he thought he had to have it, that he wasn't going to serve God anymore. Let me tell you this now, and hear me clearly. Obedience can never be motivated by reward. You are obedient because he is Lord. You are obedient because you have been bought with a price and you are not your own. You are obedient because obedience is a mandate, a requirement for the child of God. I'm speaking to you as adults this morning because it's time that we grow up in the things of God. And obedience is not an option for the son or the daughter who wants to go on in the things of God and who wants to take a mountain. Follow the Lord fully. Caleb did what God asked him to do. He came back. He brought back the right report. And he ended up spending 45 years walking through the wilderness. But Caleb was fully committed to the Lord and went through the whole 45 years and on the other side said, give me my mountain. We have, we have often put obedience into the category of I will obey God if and when. But I tell you, obey God, period. No rewards, no expectations. The prophet said God is able, but I think Amaziah understood the prophet to say God will restore and he'll do it immediately and give you extra. And he added to and twisted and changed the words of the prophet. It's like the boys in the fiery furnace when they said to Nebuchadnezzar, our God is able, but even if he does it, we'll still not bow our knee to you. That's total commitment. That's fully following the Lord. It's making up your mind. You are going to do what God has asked you to do regardless of the outcome, regardless of the immediate consequences. That obedience is driven by love and by faith and by trust in the one who has called us. Nothing more, nothing less. Obedience cannot be motivated by reward. I am just through the introduction. (laughs) Caleb has a different spirit. He is a man that's fully committed to the Lord. He is a man that is sold out to the Lord and has decided, I'm going to do what's right and I'm going to be obedient to the Lord whether I receive anything in this life or not. Amaziah, who's only half-hearted committed, when he doesn't get what he wants when he wants it, he brings in the gods of the people that he conquered and he worships them. 
I wonder how many people in this room this morning have given up on God at some level because they didn't get something when they thought they ought to. Things didn't turn out the way you wanted them to. The response wasn't what you were expecting. I care about you deeply, and I'm very concerned about you, but know that I say this in the greatest bit of love and amount of love you can imagine. Get over yourself. Because it is time for us to rise up and to be the man, the woman of God that we are called and destined to be and to look at that mountain and see the promise and not the giants, to see the promise and not the obstacles and say, I can't do it, but I know who can. I'm not able, but he is. Because it's not about us, it's about him. How we respond when God does not give us what we want is the most accurate reading of our commitment level. I should have heard ouch somewhere. I know I certainly said ouch when I wrote it. How we respond to God not giving us what we want is the most accurate reading of our commitment level. Caleb did not get what he wanted when he wanted it, but it didn't change his commitment to the Lord, not one bit. It didn't change his commitment to righteousness, not one bit. And now, 45 years later, fast forward, things have been forgotten, time has elapsed, he's 85 years old. Do you know anyone 85? I mean, they can be sharp and they can be active, but they're 85. They're not running any marathons. Or at least the people who are 85 that I know aren't running any marathons. They're people who are looking toward retirement or they're in retirement. But for the Christian, for the man, for the woman of God that's been redeemed, 85 is nothing. If God says you can do it, you can do it. Because something amazing happens in the economy of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, there's neither young nor old. When the Holy Spirit comes, there's neither male nor female, rich nor poor, bond nor free. When the Holy Spirit comes, there's a unity and a oneness among us, and we are all before the Lord as his son, as his daughter. That's a beautiful thing. So here's Caleb. He's 85. Joshua's giving out the allotments of land and telling everybody what they're going to inherit. Caleb does not wait for Joshua to tell him what he's going to inherit. He goes to Joshua and he says, this was promised to me, give me my mountain. And it's a mountain filled with giants. It's a mountain filled with problems. It's a mountain filled with trained, seasoned warriors. Caleb is not looking and asking for that mountain according to the obstacles. He's asking according to the promise of the Lord. There is something in every one of your lives that's staring you right in the face, some mountain. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a Haltom city that needs the redemptive message of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's an economy that's all over the place. Maybe it's a school filled with children that do not know Jesus. Every one of us is staring at a mountain. And I ask you this morning, what will you do with that mountain? Will you back away from it and say it's too much? Will you look at it and say there's too many giants in that land? It's infested with the things of the enemy, and I don't want to go there? Or will you let an attitude of Joshua overwhelm you and go, give me that mountain? An attitude of Caleb that says, that's my mountain, give it to me. 
Because you're not looking at the obstacles. You're not looking at the enemies. You're looking at the promise. And you know that the one who makes the promise is good to see it through to completion. Because what God starts in your life, he will finish it. So that mountain that you look at, infested with giants, I'm reminded, you can't read this without thinking of David. And by the way, Caleb is from the tribe of Judah, so David comes from good stock. He comes from giant-killing, mountain-climbing stock. Here's Goliath. He's intimidating and bringing an accusation against the armies of Israel. And they're shrinking back in fear. These giants are too big. Their weapons are too profound. They're too sharp. They're too, over, they're too complicated for us. And we cannot take them. And they're shrinking back in fear. To the point where this giant would say, Give me a man. Is there not a man in Israel that I can have a fight? And they all shrink back in fear. And here comes a teenager. He's not a warrior. He's a teenager. He's a little kid who's been keeping his dad's sheep. He's not dressed nor trained for military. He doesn't even have the weapons of the military. He has a slingshot. And he says, what's this giant? What's he saying? Listen to his words. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He is the only one out there that recognizes that this Philistine is not a part of the covenant of Israel. He is the only one that realizes that this giant does not have a mighty God standing at his side, empowering and enabling him. David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Some of you need to look at your mountains and the enemies that occupy it and go, who is that uncircumcised Philistine? That they would bring a railing accusation against the armies of the living God. This gets reported back to Saul. And Saul says, bring David to me. Saul tries to put David in his armor. I've got a sneaky suspicion that Saul believed that if you put David in his armor and David went out there, the people would think it was Saul. But David walked around in the armor and says, this doesn't fit. And he threw it off and he went to what he knew. And he, and he went to what he had experienced in his own life. And he said, God has given me the lion and he's given me the bear and this giant will be no different. So he goes out to the giant, and the giant's breaking all these intimidating threats to little David. And David says to him, you come with spear and with javelin and with shield, but I come with the name of the living God, and you're coming down. That is the language of the redeemed. When we stand before the mountain that God's telling us to possess and it's filled with the enemy, that's our cry. Who are these uncircumcised Philistines? They have all this technical support. They have all the money and they may have the popular vote, but they are nothing before the name of the living God and they are coming down. Church, we have allowed ourselves to be intimidated long enough by the taunts and the threats of the enemy, whether it be on a political arena, a financial arena, or a citywide arena. It's time for us to identify the mountain that God wants us to possess and to go get it. So Joshua releases Caleb to go get his mountain. And Caleb goes and he takes his mountain because he is a man of a different spirit and a man who wholly follows the Lord. He saw the battle, not from the perspective of his ability, but from faith. I can't, but God can. His focus was on the promise and not on the obstacle.
This man had seen God deliver him from Egyptian captivity. He had seen this God part the sea while he walks on dry ground. He has seen the Pharaoh and his army drowned in the sea. He has seen his hunger satisfied with manna from heaven and his thirst quenched with water from a rock. These giants were nothing in the face of the God who had made the promise. And they were coming down. Let me remind you this morning, the next time you're faced with the enemy, remember who set you free. Remember those addictions. Remember those chains that were on your life, fear, depression, and the list could go on. Remember the shame that covered and tainted your life. Remember the one who cleansed you and set you free the next time you face an enemy. Remember the one who took those enemies that were coming after you and drowned them to where they no longer have a voice in your life. Remember the one who has fed you bread in the secret place. Remember the one who has given you the water of his spirit from which to drink. That's the God who makes the promise, and that's the God who will deal with the giants that possess your mountain. This same man, Caleb, who had seen God do all these things, when he looks at the giants in his mountain, he doesn't see a problem. He sees uncircumcised Philistines inhabiting and occupying a space that belongs to the people of God, and it's time for them to go. God has promised this mountain to Caleb, and there's no enemy big enough to defy the living God. The giants are coming down, and Caleb's going to possess his, his inheritance. I don't know about you, but I will no longer settle for the easy. I will no longer settle for that which is comfortable and compromised. Give me my mountain. I can't take your mountain. And you can't take mine. We all have our own mountains that God has given to us. I'm not in this alone. I have a God who fights at my side and fights for me. It's not about me and my weaponry. It's about him and his great power. A mountain that the church is facing right now, I believe, is political intimidation. You can unpack that for yourself. But in the 60s, during the height of the civil rights movement, there was a woman by the name of Rosa Parks. For years, Rosa Parks had paid her price to sit on the bus in Selma, Alabama. For years, she paid the same price as everyone else, but knew she had to go to the back of the bus. And if the bus got too full, she had to get up and stand and give her, her seat to a Caucasian. For years, she had done this, and for years, she had just let it go. One day, she came in from work, she got on the bus, she paid her bus ticket, and she sat down. And a Caucasian gentleman came up to where she was and says, I want your seat. She was about to get up, but something stirred inside of her. In her biography, she said, it was the Lord who spoke to me and said, not today, Rosa, keep your seat. And the woman kept her seat. And it started a movement in this nation that has had profoundly wonderful impact. But I tell you, church, we are, asking, we are being asked by a political regime to go to the back of the bus. 
We are being asked by political powers as well as demonic powers to ignore and to walk away from the mountains that God has set before us. We are being asked to vacate the political realm, the education realm, the healthcare realm. We are being asked as Christians to evacuate those realms and to move away and go to the back of the bus. We've been at the back of the bus long enough. It's time for the people of God to say no more. I speak to you in a spiritual realm today because our real issues are not from, fl from flesh and blood. Our real issues are from principalities and powers and rulers of spiritual wickedness. And it's time for us to stop going to the back of the bus for the enemy. It's time for us to stand up and say, I have a right. If tolerance is real, it must work both ways. I have a right in Jesus Christ. I have an inheritance that will allow me to have peace and joy and an empowering from the Holy Spirit. And I will not go to the back of the bus, not for denomination, not for legal traditions and doctrines of men, and not for political systems. That's my mountain, and you can't have it. <laughs> Heavenly Father, this morning we are quick to confess to you that we are no challenge for the enemies that inhabit those mountains. But Lord, it's not about us. We come to you this morning as the redeemed, the blood-bought. And we remind you, my Father, of the promises that you've made to us in Christ Jesus. I ask you to stir up a people of a different spirit this morning. That we might be like Caleb, men and women who fully follow you. Men and women who have a different spirit, not of this world and not of the traditions of men but that we would fully follow you and the things that you've set before us, that we would say, yes, Lord, not about us. It's about you and the honor and the glory of your name. This morning, Lord Jesus, we pray for the mountain of Haltom City. And we ask you, Lord God, to raise up men and women with a vision to take this mountain and to claim this city for your honor and for your glory. Oh, Lord Jesus, for young people and a generation that's coming up, give us that generation. Father, we ask you to bring young men and young women into this place that are sold out to you and who want to do great and wonderful things for the name of Jesus. Father, give us our mountains and let us be constantly reminded and always aware that you, the living God of Israel, you are the one who goes and does battle for us. For it is in the excellent name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.